open our Bibles to uh, the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And uh, like I mentioned today, we are going to be doing a, a little bit of a series on the mercy of God this month. And uh, what a tremendous, uh, tremendous blessing that is to really ponder and reflect on the mercy of God, how that each and every one of us are in need of God's mercy by all means. Uh, once you find your place in Mark chapter 10, we invite you to stand, if you're able to, for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 46. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. The scriptures say, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, and he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. So today, I'm going to put on my tour guide hat, okay? We're actually going to be going to the city of Jericho today. And so we're going to talk about a cry for mercy. This is a, a passage here that uh, many of us are familiar with. In fact, it's mentioned in Matthew chapter 20, as well as in uh, Luke chapter 18. Uh, there's slight um, differences in, the, in how the story is presented, but I think Mark is kind of the one that really kind of brings the whole story together. But uh, we're going to talk here about it, the blind Bartimaeus. Again, something that I think is one of these familiar stories we often read and we glance over, but there, I think there's some amazing blessings and truth as we see that. So, again, we're going to take you now to the lowest city on earth, and that is the city of Jericho. So, on a map of Israel, of course, remember that Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey. But in layman's terms, Israel can fi fit inside Lake Michigan and still have room to water ski around it. So, it's not that big of a place, okay? So, again, where we lived is in the Tel Aviv Jaffa area, over here on the Mediterranean Sea coast. You drive about an hour on Highway 1 to Jerusalem. It's about an hour drive, okay? If you take the light rail, it's even faster, about maybe a little over a half hour. But nonetheless, it's not that big of a distance. But then you come here to Jerusalem, and you are here in the Judean hills, and you go over the Mount of Olives, and you begin your descent now into the Judean wilderness, and you come eventually here about 18 miles, a little bit northeast is the city of Jericho. It takes you about a little over a half hour, maybe 40 minutes, to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, and you are descending. Remember this, because of elevation, that Jerusalem sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. And then when you come here to Jericho, you are 850 feet below sea level. So that is a tremendous drop that you have there, because why? It's just north. It's the lowest city on earth, because you're very close to the lowest spot on earth, which is the Dead Sea, at about 1,300 feet below sea level. And so Jericho, though, we know it. It's very familiar to us in the Bible. Uh, it is known as the city of the palm trees. Jericho itself is probably the oldest 
continually inhabited city on earth, okay? Uh, Jericho, again, has a rich history, especially in the biblical accounts. Uh, today, Jer Jericho has a population of about 20,000 people. About 20,000 people live there. It is under the Palestinian Authority. Uh, that is due to the Oslo Accords. And so um, during the time of Jesus, it was probably somewhere close to maybe 8,000 people is what they guesstimate. So nonetheless, it's never been a huge city, but it's been a city nonetheless. And again, pretty amazing when you think about that. Today, uh, tourist, tour groups can go there. Uh, because it's in the PA, you do have to take a different bus, a different driver, things like that, go through the protocol. But tours, tourists are able to, though, to visit the city of Jericho, even though it's under the PA. Nonetheless, it may be surprising, though, to most people that uh, that biblical Jericho is actually a twin city, just like Minneapolis, St. Paul. It's really two cities when we look at the biblical account. Most people don't realize that. And so we're going to, first of all, talk about this. Why are there two Jerichos? Okay, so I want us to kind of think about this passage we're here in Mark. Look with me in Mark chapter 10, again, verse 46, the very verse we started out, and look at carefully. It says here, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho, so is Jesus coming or going? That's a question you have to ask yourself. What's going on in this passage? Now, this is where you compare Scripture with Scripture. This is called what we call the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which tell a very similar vein of presentation in their accounts. John kind of does his own thing for the most part. But nonetheless, it's, it's important as we compare this. So here's the difference. In Matthew's Gospel, as you can see, it says, As they departed from Jericho. This is when they met the blind man. In Luke's gospel, it says when he was come nigh, when he was arriving in Jericho, he met the blind man. So which one's right? Was he coming? Was he leaving or was he coming? And the answer is yes. Welcome to the Middle East. Okay? <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. And so I think Mark's gospel really kind of helps bring that story together where it says here, and they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho. In other words, there's two Jerichos. There's two Jerichos in the Bible, okay? What do I mean by that? First of all, there is the Old Testament Jericho. We know famously the story of Joshua and the children of Israel. They go to Jericho. They, of course, surround the city seven days. They blow the trumpet, they shout, and the walls came tumbling down. We're familiar with that story. I hope you are, okay? Uh, so nonetheless, a great miracle happened here. But here is actually ancient Jericho from the time of Joshua. Okay, so you're looking at from that period. Of course, we know it was later destroyed. People try to rebuild it, but there was always there has always been a human presence there at Jericho. Okay, so that is the story. That is the Jericho we are most familiar with, especially in the Bible passages. So, but there is another Jericho, okay, and that is New Testament Jericho. And so, what do I mean by that? So, you go through the Old Testament, and then back in during the uh, Babylonian conquest in about 600 to 586 BC. In those years, that's when Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar comes, and of course he takes captivity uh, those, and brings them back to Babylon. We're familiar with that story. And so Babylon was definitely, uh, had that influence. Well, again, there was still a presence there, but it was not nearly as significant. Uh, let's fast forward later on to the Hasmoneans. This is again about 100, 200 years before Jesus came. And uh, so they become kind of like the rulers, if you will, of, of Israel. 
And so finally, there become another leader called Herod the Great. Many of you familiar with that. Herod the Great, you know him for him mostly from killing the babies in Bethlehem, that Herod, okay? So Herod the Great, uh, he had a very, it was a love-hate relationship with the Jewish people that lived in Jericho, okay? And so Herod had many palaces, fortresses around the country, and we could spend all day talking about his architecture, and he was a masterful architect, but he was also a nut, and I'll get to that in a moment, okay? So Herod, had when he was trying to have a palace, a winter palace in Jericho, got to remember this, that in the in the uh, that the Jordan Valley that's there near the Dead Sea, that it gets extremely hot during the summer. It's easily in the 90s and then some in the summer, very dry and all that. Um, but it was also very flourishing. It was the city of the date palms. There was a great date harvest. In fact, dates were so prized that came from those trees that they were actually imported to Rome. I mean, it was that prized, okay? Okay, so say all that to say this, that Herod wants to build a, a winter palace, and so the Hasmoneans had a palace. Herod wanted to beautify and expand it on a, at a, at a great level, and so he does that. But because of his kind of love-hate relationship with the Jewish subjects that were in Old Testament Jerusalem, he decides to go out about a mile southwest and to build this, his palace. In fact, you're looking at Herod the Great's bathhouse that he had, okay? This is in what we call New Testament Jericho. Okay, so having those two Jerichos in mind helps us to understand what is taking place here. We see here Bartimaeus, he's sitting here by the highway side begging. That highway side is that road between Old Testament and New Testament Jericho. So that's where the story is taking place. So that's the backdrop that you see here. And it was on that, that road, that's when Bartimaeus cries out. He hears about Jesus of Nazareth coming, and he cries out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. This is amazing as we see this. Let me kind of go back to tell you a little bit more. Do you want to hear a little bit more about Herod? I think it's kind of interesting, okay? Before we get into the story, let's talk about a little bit more why Herod had this love-hate relationship. Remember this, that Herod was a half-breed, if you will. He was half Edomian, Edomite, half Jewish, okay? So there was that, that difference that was going on there. Also, like I said, Herod was a masterful architect, but he was also a nut. And what I mean by that is this. In, uh, there, near this, there's actually a great pool that was about 90 meters long. Okay, times that by three, you kind of get the, the feet, okay? But anyways, he actually had his uh, brother-in-law drowned in, uh, in that very pool because he perceived him as a threat to the throne, okay? And that was just one of many people that Herod had knocked off that were close to him. Because, and so you can understand why Jesus, when Jesus was born, the wise men come, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Makes sense why Herod perceived that as a threat and he wanted any threat to be eliminated. Now you kind of get more of the idea why. It was Octavian, the Roman emperor, who made this comment. It was better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. You had a longer chance of living, okay? So anyways, that's our little history lesson for the morning on Herod. And we could go on forever, but we won't. We're going to go to Bartimaeus now, the cry for mercy. And so here we have Bartimaeus as he's crying there. So again, on the road between the two Jerichos, we find the blind man, Bartimaeus. Let's talk a little bit about him as we look into this. You see, Bartimaeus, he was in a dire situation. He was blind. He was, he was a, a beggar, obviously, collecting alms, collecting, uh, soliciting funds, anything that he could do to help him. What's interesting, though, is that uh, a little bit something we miss as well is that Bartimaeus here, 
is this. That is actually not his first name. Okay? Bartimaeus is actually Aramaic and Greek together. Bar in Aramaic means son. Timaeus is actually a Greek name, which implies, can't prove it 100%, but it implies that possibly that Bartimaeus was also caught between two worlds. It's a great picture between the Old Testament and New Testament Jerichos. He was part Jewish. And then, most likely, he was part Greek or even Roman, per se, because you have that, that, that tension that you see there between the Old Testament and New Testament Jerichos. As you see that here, his name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, which, by the way, means exactly the same thing in, in, uh, when you look at the languages here. Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, which is what it says here. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, means the same thing. So anyways, Mark is doing that, though, to prove a point. It's interesting that when Jesus does healing ministries, that rarely, if ever, a person's name is actually mentioned. We hear of the nobleman's son or servant. We hear of Jairus' daughter. Uh, we have very few occasions when a name of a person is actually mentioned. One occasion will be Lazarus, of course. Uh, we have um, Mary Magdalene, where it's mentioned that Jesus cast out seven demons. And then we have Bartimaeus. So very few times people's names are actually mentioned, but it's done for great emphasis. It's interesting here that the word Timaeus here means honorable. But it's interesting, the irony of it is that the position of Bartimaeus in his physical situation, his social situation that he has, is anything but honorable. And so he is here in dire straits. He is stuck in the middle, really, between these two worlds and looking for help and for assistance. As we see this here, we see here that Bartimaeus, in his dire situation, he is crying out for mercy. His mercy. His cry for mercy is bold. Look with me again in verse 47. It says, And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth was coming, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Here was a cry for mercy. And it wasn't just a simple, um, excuse me, Jesus. No, it was a bold cry as Jesus cried out. Now, it's interesting, I think this, that Bartimaeus, as a blind person, we don't know if he was blind all of his life or what. Nonetheless, he did not ever see Jesus because of his physical limitations. He could not get out and about very often. And so most likely his life was limited just to that area where he lived. And so the only thing he could rely on was simply hearing the, the, what was being said about Jesus. And when Jesus came, he now makes that bold cry concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and he says here, Son of David, have mercy on me. The word Son of David should really make a stop in our tracks. Because what Bartimaeus is doing is he is trusting in what has been prophesied through the centuries concerning the coming of the Messiah. When God promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he promises David that there will not fail thee to be a man to sit upon the throne of David, upon your throne. In other words, there's going to be someone greater than David, greater than Solomon, greater than any of the kings of Israel or Judah for that matter. There will become one whose rule will be without end, and that is the Messiah, the anointed one. And we know that is none other than Jesus Christ. So when Bartimaeus is crying out, son of David, he's basically making a messianic proclamation. There's the Messiah. Listen to me. 
Oh, it's amazing. So amazing. Now, the thing is this. For us as mostly here Gentile believers in Jesus, we can appreciate that, but not as much as the Jewish people who have been given that promise of a ruler whose goings forth have been from wool from everlasting. Pretty amazing when we think about that. So we see here that the son of David, this was a recognition of Jesus' royal lineage. Again, we mentioned again in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, it begins with the genealogy of Jesus, who was the son of Abraham, the son of David. It's amazing to think about that. He really is royal in his, in his lineage, in his family line. But as you see here, he's calling for mercy. He says, have mercy upon me. Bartimaeus, his call for mercy was really a call for, for compassion. Think of this, probably most of his life, Bartimaeus received very little compassion, very little care, very little attention to his physical and social needs that he had. Maybe some help from his family, we really don't know that. But nonetheless, he is calling out to none other who else can help him except the Messiah for compassion and mercy on that. He says, you know, it's interesting that I think probably Bartimaeus maybe even knew the prophecy that was told in Isaiah chapter 35, that the Messiah, he would come and open the eyes of the blind. Where is the Messiah? What powerful Messiah can we have? You know, I think a lot of times we limit the Messiah in our thinking as a royal ruler who basically brings justice and makes everything right. But think about the compassion that the Messiah has as well. The Messiah that can help free the captive, make the lame walk, make the blind see, raise the dead. This is the compassionate Messiah that we did have, that we do have. And Bartimaeus cries out, he cries out boldly for mercy. You see here that Bartimaeus recognized Jesus by hearing, not by seeing. It's, and so the question is, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later, well, who really was the blind in this story? Was it really Bartimaeus? Kind of interesting. But we see here, not only did Bartimaeus have a cry for mercy that was bold, he also experienced here a cry for mercy that opened a call for comfort. Look with me in verse 49. It says here, actually verse 40, speaking of verse 48, And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. I think it's interesting Bartimaeus faced many hindrances and obstacles in life just because of his, his handicap, his physical condition. And as he cries out for mercy, what do the people around do? They warn him, says, be quiet, be silent, don't speak up, don't bother the master, don't bother Jesus. You know, it's interesting here that there is other times in the Bible when, uh, when people kind of opposed or at least produced hindrances for people seeing Jesus. Remember that the woman, women came with their children, uh, actually earlier on in this chapter, so that Jesus could bless them. And what the disciples do? They forbade them. He says, don't come. Don't bother Jesus. What does Jesus do? Suffer or allow the children to come to me. Forbid them not for such is the kingdom of heaven. And we have the same situation here where those around him, possibly the disciples as well, saying, don't bother Jesus. Be quiet, blind man. Put him away. And what does Jesus do? It's interesting. As, Jesus, as those people are basically stopping or trying to hinder Bartimaeus from seeing Jesus, what happens is this. Jesus turned the tables. Verse 49, he says this. 
Jesus stood still and commanded them to be called. So here's the thing. Put you in your mind. You're there amongst those group and you're seeing Bartimaeus. He's crying out at the top of his lungs, Son of David, have mercy upon me. I'm over here. And you can imagine the people around him. Bartimaeus, Shh, be quiet. Be quiet. Jesus is busy and all that. And what? what what's that? Oh, um, he, he actually wants you. you come over here. <laughs> Could you imagine the, the situation that would be in? For those people, I think Jesus is doing that. Jesus could have simply said, Bartimaeus, come over here. No, he tells the people who are telling him to be quiet to say, hey, bring him over here. Tell him I need him. Isn't that a great comfort? Jesus do, is doing that on purpose to teach those people a lesson. I think that's something we have to be careful as well, that we do not become a hindrance to others in seeing Jesus. We need to be careful in our life and our action, what we say, how we live that we should not be a hindrance in our lives for others to see Jesus. You see, against all hindrances, Bartimaeus was determined. He cried again more boldly, again, to, for Jesus to have mercy upon him. It's interesting. I think, too, Bartimaeus understood the moment. You know, as Jesus was going, coming in or going out of, of the Jerichos, there, the two Jerichos, you know, this is probably, Bartimaeus understood, this was probably the only moment he could speak up, and he did. And so the question I present again is this, who really are the blind in this story? I think Bartimaeus, he saw things that other people couldn't quite see of who Jesus was. He understood that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he placed all his hope and trust with him. You see, Jesus, like I said, he used the opposition, the hindrances to call Bartimaeus. Another thing I think, too, as we see here is this. Jesus comes here as a, as a servant. Jesus comes here, again, not just to rule and reign with a rod of iron and make all things right, make things perfect. The idea is this. He comes as a servant. Look with me in verse 46. He says here, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, or to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ didn't come here to be the, be the big CEO and just be the person flexing his muscles. I'm in charge of this place. I think that's somewhat the expectations of the, of the Jewish people at the time, especially against Rome. We just want someone to show some muscle and, you know, be in charge of everything. Now, is Jesus all-powerful? Absolutely. Is he all-wise? Absolutely. But Jesus came as a servant. And that is really a, a big theme of the Gospel of Mark. Again, it reminds us here of Philippians chapter 2, where it says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus came as a servant to minister, and that's exactly why he called Bartimaeus to himself, to have mercy on him. We say, of course, as well, a cry for mercy is a cry of faith. The Bible says in Romans that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The question is this in verse, actually look with me in verse uh, verse 50. After Jesus called him, he, it says he, Bartimaeus, casting away his garment, he basically threw it away, threw it aside here, rose and came unto Jesus. In other words, he removed all hindrances himself from seeing Jesus. Anything that got in the way, he cast it aside. Pretty amazing as we think that. There are some uh, commentators that also kind of think that the garment that he had, which was an upper garment, most likely contained the alms or the money or whatever funds he received as he was begging on the side of the road. Regardless or not, he cast all that aside because he found the one, only thing that could 
satisfy him forever, and that was knowing Christ, knowing Jesus. As we see here in verse 51 now, Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. You see, this is a question of faith. Jesus is presenting it really to, to see his heart. What do you want me to do? What wilt thou have me to do? You see, I think something that we are presented with here, a good illustration when we talk about prayer is this. Do we ask God for big things? Uh, as one commentator says this, I loved it. It says, Jesus does not react to cold prayers. Think about that. So many times our prayers, I'll be, when, when we're honest with ourselves, they're cold. There's no life in it. It's just basically words, maybe repetition, whatever it may be. The thing is this, do we really ask God for big things? With Bartimaeus, we see that his cry for mercy was a cry of faith, and his cry was persistent, persistent determination. Again, he cried, and he cried louder when people tried to stop him. He was persistent to get the, get the answer from Jesus. But again, we go back to that question that Jesus presented to Bartimaeus, what will thou that I should do unto thee? It's interesting here, just a few verses earlier, Jesus asked his disciples the same question, more or less. Look with me back in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou should do for us whatever we shall desire. And he, asked, and he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? What do you uh, kind of the same question. What do you want me to do for you? And, of course, what did they, they say? Well, grant us one to sit on your right hand and one on your left. It was a question of selfishness, really, when they came to it. But we see here is this, that in, as opposed to that, now he contrasts it with Bartimaeus. The same question is given to Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And what is, what is, is interesting, he says here that I might receive sight. This is the, a, the question that was given. The answer is this, that the mercy is given to the humble. You see, understand this, that Bartimaeus, his cry was desperate, not selfish. Yes, that he may see, but as more so grounded in the fact that he knew who Jesus was. James and John were really asking, Lord, how can we benefit from being with you? It was a selfish motive that they had in their prayers. Okay, But with Bartimaeus, he humbly came before him, and his cry of mercy was a cry of faith. It's interesting this, that as he comes to this, he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And his prayer moved from the general, have mercy on me, to a specific request that I might receive my sight. I think this is a good thing for us to examine our own prayer life. When we pray to the Lord, we have general prayers. Lord, give us a good day. Okay. Now what? What do you want God to do? And he asks you, is God willing to give you good gifts? Absolutely. Once that would glorify him. God answers prayer in so many ways, but we know generally how does God answer prayer? Yes, no, and wait. And God is faithful in the way he answers prayers. But notice again how Bartimaeus, his prayer moved from the general, have mercy on me, to a specific request. How do you want me to give you mercy? That I could receive sight. And that's exactly what the Lord did. You know, his prayer as well, it signified a personal commitment to the son of David. We see here that the son of David, that was a messianic title for Israel. For those around him, that would have been, that would have been really big news, okay? Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah. But now we see here how Bartimaeus' personal faith was revealed. 
Because he says unto him, in verse 51, the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may receive thy sight. The, the word Lord here is actually Rabboni. Rabboni is only used in two places in the New Testament. Only used here in Mark and later on in John chapter 20 when Jesus appears to Mary at the garden, uh, at the garden tomb, as we see here. But Rabboni means master, okay, as we do it. And, but it's a very personal uh, and it's actually a very elevated term. But it's understanding is this, when he says the word Rabboni here, he's basically putting his personal commitment, his personal faith in who Jesus was as a student of his, as a follower of him. Pretty amazing. His prayer signified a personal commitment to him. It's interesting, I, I like what the Geneva Bible says about this, that only Christ, being called upon by faith, can heal our blindness. Bartimaeus understood that completely. He understood that Jesus was the only one capable of bringing him out of his predicament, of bringing him out of his situation for however long he lived that. For many years, probably, that's what he knew. But nonetheless, Jesus here, what does he do? Verse 52, And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. One thing I want to point out here, I want us to look at the progression of, of Bartimaeus. Look in this passage here, if you want to highlight or mark it, something like that, write it on a separate paper. There's actually about nine, or actually ten things when we look at the Gospels together of what he do. We find him, at the beginning, he's begging. Later on, he is hearing. He, verse 47, he heard of Jesus of Nazareth coming. And then the third part, he was crying. He was crying out, have mercy upon me. Next, he is casting. He's casting away his garment. Next, he is rising. The next, he is coming to Jesus. And then, number seven, he is asking Jesus to heal him. And now he is seeing. And then what happens next? And that's in verse 52. He says, and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. He was following. Matthew Henry says concerning this, that those that have spiritual eyesight see the beauty in Christ, and this beauty will effectively draw them to run after him. This was the life of Bartimaeus. He looked at what mattered the most. He looked unto Jesus. There's a tenth progression, and you find this in Luke's gospel, is that he then glorified God. He followed God, and he, he followed Jesus, and he glorified God. And the people around him saw that, and they praised him. People, you know, a lot of times when Jesus did these miracles, it wasn't just for that person. He also was doing these miracles for his disciples and for any others that were watching as well, that their faith would be strengthened in knowing who Jesus Christ was. You see here that every person, I believe, is like Bartimaeus. In our sinful condition, we are hopeless. We are destitute. We are blind. Just like Bartimaeus, we are in great need of God's mercy. You know, while we could receive a little help here and there, just think of Bartimaeus. Yeah, Jesus or others could have put a little bit of money in his bag. And, you know, sure, it could help him for a little bit. But understand this, that never would have changed Bartimaeus' condition. For us, receiving a little help here or there never, never really changes our condition. But you see, Bartimaeus saw what others did not see. I believe his vision was 2020. Because he believed with all of his heart that Jesus was indeed the Messiah of Israel. And with tender words, Jesus healed him and made him whole, made him complete. 
You see, this is one of the last miracles of Jesus before he went to the cross in his public ministry. Go to chapter 11 here of Mark, and you have the triumphal entry. And now you have basically just a few days before Jesus is then crucified for us. But we see here, the last one of the last miracles before Jesus went to the cross for his public ministry. But there on the cross, the love of God was displayed for all to see as Jesus took our sins upon himself, dying in our place. As we sang earlier today, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied for me. And there, my burdened soul found liberty. Where was that at? At Calvary. Understand this, that our spiritual blindness can only be cured by crying to Jesus to have mercy on us, just like Bartimaeus did. And as with Bartimaeus, Jesus calls you to trust in him, where he will give you mercy and love. With mercy, he will give you sight and new life. As with Bartimaeus, your life is changed forever. And now that Bartimaeus has sight, he would now look unto Jesus. When you are saved, wasn't it just a different experience? Because now you are focusing upon the one who loved you before you loved him. That's Jesus Christ. As with Bartimaeus, let us follow Jesus, glorifying and praising him for each step of the way that he gives us. Thank God that he hears and answers a cry for mercy. This is a precious passage when you think about it. The lost are blind and they don't know it. He said, how's your vision? Oh, I can see great. With or without the glasses, right? We, you know, we have ability and we have help. But to see our true condition, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and only Jesus Christ could for forgive us of our sins and make us whole and complete in him, only Jesus can do that. Bartimaeus had great faith. He had great comfort. And he was bold in calling out for help, calling out for mercy. It all began on a little road between the two Jerichos. Pretty amazing when you think about it. question is for you today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? As John Newton said, the old slave trader, God got a hold of his spirit. I once was blind, but now I see. Do you see Jesus Christ for who he is? There's a lot of people who know about God, but they really don't know him personally. Bartimaeus knew him. He got up and he followed him. It's interesting, where did Bartimaeus go next? I want to say Bartimaeus was probably in that group that went with Jesus over the Mount of Olives during the triumphal entry. And he was probably shouting with the rest of them, there's the son of David. And he had mercy on him. Here's the question for you today. Have you experienced the mercy of God? Are you saved? You know him as your Savior. If you're here today and you're not sure of that, I challenge you from the word of God that we can show you how you can be saved and how you can experience God's mercy. His mercy is anew every day with the Lord. If you are here and you have been saved, let us walk with him faithfully. Let's not be a hindrance to others, but let's walk faithfully with him, having our eyes fixed upon Jesus. He is worthy of all glory and praise.